We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What did we do with all of those rookie picks in our Dynasty rookie draft? That's what we're going to talk about today on Sailing Bananas. I'm Ben Gretsch from my newsletter at bengretsch.substack.com. With me, as always, is Sean Siegel. You can find all of his fantastic work at Rotoviz. We've talked over the last almost year now about this dynasty league that we started up on the FFPC, the Rotoviz Triflex Superflex format. It's a super fun league. We we kind of did a productive struggle year one, gathered a ton of rookie picks for year two, and we're currently in that rookie draft. Sean, you've been talking for so long about how much fun this rookie draft would be. We've been having quite a bit of fun with it. You've been doing a lot of work, manning the phone, sending out trade offers. I'm excited to talk through uh, our process and what we've uh, managed to get out of all these picks so far. Yeah, it's it's been a, a crazy amount of fun. I've been looking forward to this ever since we did the original draft last season and moved down a bunch and stockpiled picks and if anything you know sometimes the anticipation can be better than the reality but then if anything i feel like the reality has been better than the anticipation on this we we've got to make a lot of picks we've made i believe eight trades which you know we're just kind of mid-third so that gives you a sense of, of how much we were able to move around. One of the things that we talked about originally and has been part of this sort of perpetual reloading idea is that if you have a lot of picks that it gives you both a lot of flexibility and a lot of control over the board as the draft actually takes place. So when you are on the clock in a spot that you like, you can go ahead and make the pick. If you're on the clock in a spot where you have two guys even, especially in the first round, you can move back a spot and pick up some value. If you have four or five picks together in the late second, early third, you can pick and choose among the players that you have labeled as targets. And then when that pushes somebody down you don't have as a target, you can trade back to someone who wants to come up and get that player because he's now an ADP value. As you do that, it allows you to then move a lot of value into the future as well. So one of the things that we'll talk about is where we are now for next year's draft at this point. But Ben, let's start out from the beginning. We're going through the draft. Obviously, we're excited about the players going off here. The listeners are excited about exactly how 
things are transpiring. So let's start to take them through the first round. Look at who went. No surprise, I don't think, that Brees Hall goes number one. Where do we go from there? Well, Traylon Burks went second, and we started the first round with picks three, four, seven, and 12. And little spoiler, we only made one of those picks, but we still made three first-round picks. So Sean made several trades. I'm going to give you all the credit for it because I'm not – we talked through all of this, but you are uh, the wizard at coming up with trade offers and, and packages. We did pick at three – we moved back from four to five. We moved back from five to six. We also picked at six. Then we moved back from seven to eight. Then we traded out from eight all the way out of the first round. And then we traded back in to nine. <laughs> so we had quite the uh, eventful first round in terms of moving around the board. Like you said, when you have those four picks, it gives you so much flexibility. Oftentimes people want to come up a little bit I thought it was really interesting sort of in our conversation, some of the strategies that you were thinking through about just these small move backs that we did several times. Our first, I mean, I, I, I guess the the first move or, or decision point was 103 and, and we were ready to take Drake London there. So we did with Burks off the board. I think we both like Burks more than London. A lot of people have London over Burks. The way I see it is that's a top three, uh, a tier of three. Um, Hall and, and Burks in London. At four, we were kind of a little indifferent, so we moved back to five and we picked up Rashad Penny to do that. At five, we moved back to six. We picked up our boy Eno Benjamin and also a whole round move up from 602 to 502. So that was just you know something that will maybe help us down the line. Uh, and, you know, Benjamin, we were just joking before the show, not even likely to make our roster when we get to the regular season cutdowns, but he's on the roster now and, and we're excited to have him. We do have James Conner. So if something were to happen to James Conner, you know, we got some insurance. We can tell ourselves that was a, a smart move. Then at 106, at four and five, Kenneth Walker and Jamison Williams went off. And, and, and Sean, we talked a little bit about that Garrett Wilson, Jamison Williams decision. That was part of the reason we moved from four to five. We liked those guys very similarly. And then again, after Walker went 104 from five to six, but we were almost hoping that we'd get Williams at six, right? We were. And for having so many picks and picks in the right spot, we did have some mild compromises here because like you said, we were kind of hoping that Traylon Burks would fall in the road of his ADP dynasty adp tool you can pull up relevis triflex specifically i know that a lot of listeners aren't playing that format exactly but it's just it's so representative of the types of leagues that everyone is building now and so i think that that part of it is pretty cool the adps for these guys kenneth walker a 3.1 average london 3.2 burks 3.9 and so from that perspective I mean, Burks had a good chance of coming to us at the 103, but he did not. We did want a receiver. We do like Kenneth Walker, and running back is our biggest weakness. But at the same time, we were very willing to make that move back and pick up Penny. I, I, ben, I mean, you're obviously our Seahawks watcher, and it does seem like Walker has this extreme advantage right from the get-go in terms of how it's going to work. But if you talk about moving back one spot, and especially if we're trying to put together some running back points in year one or you know this coming year in 2022, 
maybe those guys are a little bit closer together and that gives us a, a fourth running back so our guys that we were really emphasizing here as we really do try and win a title this year if we don't win the title or at least you know get a buy make the semis you know try and get into that championship game it'll be disappointment i mean that kind of thing does happen injuries happen you know you have a bad luck loss in the playoffs that kind of thing happens and if we don't get into that position we'll be pretty disappointed we have saquon barkley james connor both of those guys going early in redraft so that would suggest that the community thinks we've got a good shot there then rojo which obviously we're rationally exuberant about you put penny in there and that part i think from a redraft perspective and when you're looking at running backs in dynasty except for your foundation piece it really is sort of just this redraft approach like having him so we move down from four to five and then like you mentioned we move down again because we were kind of targeting jamison williams we had them very close together in the road of his rookie guide the one member of our team who was very adamant that wilson is the better pick was travis may and he's the person who is the most immersed in college football and so from that perspective i mean there's some reason to believe that we maybe got the right guy wilson does go a little bit earlier on average but those guys are close and i have seen williams go as early as the 103 i mean he's the person that people think when he's healthy maybe that's the massive win so we were kind of hoping to go for the massive win you end up there with the jets and it's maybe a little bit more of a compromise but wilson still seems like a high floor even if it doesn't happen in 2022 i mean the jets are going to get this figured out while he's there well we say that but you know the commanders and the panthers are still in the process of trying to do this over the course of many years so no guarantees but we do take wilson and i mean we're balancing our exposure to those two guys across multiple leagues i would have loved to have williams in this one that i'm in with you but i mean a pretty good chance that this works out very nicely for us anyway yeah it's interesting because i think you and i are both getting a lot of burks i have williams in two other places now these are the only places now that i have drafted london or wilson so i'm kind of glad in that respect to have them on a team but it is funny because i think both of us on our other teams are targeting these guys pretty heavily burks and williams and so um, I have Burks in multiple other spots as well. And so it's, uh, I've gotten pretty good exposure to this group, but it's pretty interesting that, you know, on our team together, we'll be on London and and Wilson. I, I don't know. I, I kind of like it because we have a lot of sort of our guys on this team already. So to have like sort of our guys, but not quite exactly our guys, is not like the end of the world. You like a little mix. We do have Elijah Moore on this roster as well, which was one other reason that it was sort of a mild compromise and we were targeting Jamison Williams a little bit more was, I mean, we're already kind of invested in the Jets passing game. So we're in a spot where their values may be, their really bad outcomes might be correlated, which would be like if Zach Wilson's really poor and the Jets are just really poor, it could be kind of bad for both of their value. And so that's maybe not a great thing to have tied together, but not the end of the world by any means and something that, Certainly we're happy to leave with, you know, this early part of the draft with London and Wilson. We could have stayed put at three and four and taken them. We also add Penny. We had the move up late. We had our guy, you know, Benjamin. And then we were on the clock at seven and didn't really want to take Alave there. I don't think there's any real secret, the guy that we actually would have wanted to take, which was Sky Moore. Um, we moved back from seven to eight for Gerald Everett your favorite tight end for the last like five years that it's going to happen this year now because he's with the chargers 
I'm with you on that. So we added another tight end. We already have a lot of young, good tight ends that we like. We have Cole Komet, Pat Fryermuth. We also have Mike Gesicki, who's a little bit older. And then we add Everett. So now we're at four. And we were going to, spoiler alert, be targeting Trey McBride as well. Spoiler alert, we didn't end up drafting because now we have four tight ends. We didn't really need five. But we moved back from 107 to 108 to pick up Everett. And now our tight end room is that much stronger. It's four of the – in redraft, I think this is like the, the group of mid-round tight ends to target, right? Maybe not Gesicki so much, but I, I think Fryermuth, Komet, Everett are at different price points are really fun breakout tight end candidates for this year. They are. And the thing that it allowed us to do, and we talk a lot about creating flexibility, we did really want Trey McBride – and we have him ranked in the guide, and I know that you're on board with this a lot earlier than his ADP, but also with his ADP, you're thinking, okay, well, we're going to risk it and get him later than we have ranked. But by adding the fourth tight end, it gives us a little bit of a hedge because now if you risk it and lose, you're like, well, I mean, we didn't really have space for him anyway. So that part of it <laughs> you know, works out nicely for us. So we make this move back from the 107 to the 108 in order to take Sky Moore. And then we're like, but maybe with the number of wide receivers we already have, we need to do something a little bit different. We know it's going to be difficult to get 2023 first round picks because everybody is on that, right? And we have a pick here where there was a team that needed to move in to take a QB. And the ADP with Olave, Pickett, and Moore has Pickett in there with Olave, and Moore is after that. And so we're thinking, well, number one, it probably makes sense to get a 2023 R1 instead of Sky Moore because we have this roster slot crunch and because it's going to be so difficult to get. Number two, there's at least this outside chance that we could move back in somehow to get more less expensively than the move out would be. So we do move out. We give up the 108, the 307, and a 2022, 2023 round two and pick up the 304. So we move up a couple slots. We get that 2023 first, and then we get a 2023 second from a team that has just had terrible luck in the off season. I mean, this team was put together well, and then they were hit by like every possible thing that could have happened during the off season to where now the team is just frankly, not particularly good and through no fault of the manager, but by picking up that round two, we probably move up in next year's second round. And so we get, you know, a first that could be anywhere. We get a second that's higher than the second that we trade away. We move up a little bit in the third round and Ben, we do lose Sky Moore at least for the moment. Yeah, it's funny because you said we were thinking about trading back in. I mean, I, I, I would describe it as one of our clear goals coming into this year with our roster crunch was to try to move some of this pick value into 2023. So this opportunity to pick up a 2023 first to move out of the 108 was, you know, accomplish that goal. And as you said, you know, we we trade away our own second. So we think we're moving up in the second round as well. And that can be pretty huge. I mean, that was something that you suggested. And I was like, you know, I don't necessarily always think that way, but if you have a pretty good feel that this could be, 
anywhere from like, you know, even if it's just like the 209 to the 205, that's pretty nice in the second round of a rookie draft. But it could be, you know, if we make the the title game like you were suggesting earlier in the show, it could be the 211. And if this team's poor luck continues, it could be the 211 all the way up to the 202 or something, you know, something in that range, which would be a pretty huge move up, you know, when you're doing these rookie drafts. Those high seconds can be really, really valuable. It seems every year those are very desirable picks. The late seconds are still interesting, but less so. It's, it's always a pretty significant tear break somewhere in that second round, it feels like. So that was a really interesting element of it that, that you proposed that I was really excited about. So potentially turned a late second next year into two more premium picks for next year, an earlier second plus that first. And you mentioned a small move up in the third, but that was a really nice package to move out of one of our first round picks. And we had already gotten London. We had already gotten Wilson. But then after we did that, it was almost like we, we maybe hadn't really talked through it a ton because it was almost like, well, now we're not going to be able to have Sky more. <laughs> that was the case. And so then we immediately start brainstorming. like, well, we could trade that 2023 first back and, you know, just get him there and, what we'll have accomplished was that move up in the second, which as you just said, would still be valuable. Then we're like, wait, no, we can't. I mean, it just would make no sense with having way too many picks in the first place. And we're trending towards having like 30 players and you can only keep 20. Now you can look at those extra 10 all through the off season. The ones who break out, say if five of those 10 really gain value, those five, you can move for things that matter. Right? So it's not like you're going to cut 10 people, but but we are in a roster crunch. So we're like, we can't, you know, we can't give up that 2023 first. But what we did do was move back in the second. And so again, this is the value of having a lot of the picks because you have flexibility. So we ended up trading the 112 for that 109 in order to do that, because there is a tier break that I think almost everyone in the community realizes and says, look, if you're going to move, from essentially the 111, 112 range into the 109, 110 range. I mean, that 110 to 111 is the break. If it's not after more, I mean, it depends on how enthusiastic people are in your league about uh, Christian Watson, but you're going to have to really pay. And we did, and we bit the bullet and we paid the 202 and had to move all the way down to the 301. So the 112 and 202, basically two turn picks to get back to the 109. The 301 is not worthless, but as we were talking through it, we were, I, I was sort of describing it as is, you know, sky Moore or two really interesting players. Uh, and then we were like, well, with the roster crunch and everything else and, and how high we have sky Moore valued. I mean, we would argue that he belongs up in the Chris Olafe tier, right? Wouldn't you? Then, then probably it's worth those two players. Even if you maybe didn't have the three one, that would be a pretty aggressive move without getting at least the three one back. But that was sort of, you know, the way that I was thinking through it and saying to myself, yeah, I would take Sky more at that at that point with our roster crunch. This is a player we're really, really high on. He is. And uh, I kind of made the mistake of of Googling him as we were going through these trade offers and reading more about how this guy should have been picked far earlier. I don't know. It, the Chiefs GM, Brett Veach, was bragging about how I'm not bragging about he's joking about how on like his draft bingo sheet like moving down was the only thing left to check off and like that should be the number one thing you check off you should be moving down but he's like so we finally pulled it off from the 50 to the 54 
and we still got Sky Moore. And it's like, yeah, but there were multiple receivers picked in there. You could have, I mean, what did you gain in that move that was worth risking more? But they risked it. They won. Sky Moore is probably going to be ahead of at least Olave, if not, I don't know, Ben. I think he's going to move ahead of either one of Williams and Wilson and one of Burks and London. Maybe that last one is aggressive there. But anyway, we liked it. And what we lost, Rashad White is picked at the 202. The 301 becomes Alec Pierce. We actually traded that pick for the 309 and the 405. Again, you're like, why are you guys trading back when you already have too many players? But there are some specific guys that we're targeting at those spots. We think that that portion of it will potentially work out. And yeah, so to have been able to pick up a first, draft three times, get three guys we liked, I think this was our dream scenario going in. Absolutely. I mean, so we, we leave the first round with Drake Lennon, Garrett Wilson, Sky Moore. We, one of the things we talked about running back being the weakness of our roster is how do we want to approach that with this class? Because it has Brees Hall and Kenneth Walker at the top. A point you made either on a show or to me elsewhere, or maybe on one of our live streams, which most listeners, I hope, did not listen to all of those because we're very long for your own <laughs> sanity, was this idea that maybe it, as a tiebreaker, it makes sense to take a Kenneth Walker in the early part because there are so many receivers we like, and we have to think about it holistically in terms of what we're going to get out of this rookie draft for our roster. Not necessarily what each player is, but what what is what does our team look like after this rookie draft, or what does our total haul look like? We kind of threw all that out the window. I think that made a lot of sense, but instead we just took three receivers, which was sort of what we were always going to do, I guess. We ended up with London wilson and more and then we still had plenty of picks in the second round and the two picks we managed to make in the second round were also wide receivers they were and so just to fill it in it did go watson at 110 it went james cook at the 111 and i mean that feels like just such a gross pick but i'm not criticizing here curtis patrick and i picked cook at the 111 in our pros versus joe's ffpc rookie draft so there are situations in which i mean you almost have to to end up with that as the pick there the 112 and this is the pick we traded out of so we're obviously looking at that to see okay well what did we give up or what you know in a multiple universe you know what do we lose there and it's george pickens and obviously he would have been the guy we would have been going after if he had landed with the chiefs instead still an interesting pick there with the pittsburgh steelers especially if kenny pickett can get the job done the 201 was jahan dotson and that's not a pick that we're on but it is a good value for the 16th overall pick in the draft who was a wide receiver rashad white at the 202 then and ben we were a little bit disappointed about this because the weakness we do have and the thing that could throw a huge wrench in the works of trying to win the championship is we just have two quarterbacks and we thought that one of willis corral and ritter would make it to us they did not they go 203 204 205 damian pierce goes at 206 then we're back on the board at 207 yeah so we we wound up giving up pickens and white for more just to to backtrack how that went or at least you know other people took those players in those spots but probably we would have as well those are two really good players and those are that's interesting right we also got the 301 but i don't think we would have been upset necessarily to have the other two but yes we got back on the clock at 207 we debated trading back what are we going to do ultimately 
because we had a few guests that we liked here. Ultimately, we decided we wanted David Bell enough to pull the trigger there. He's somebody that in some of our other leagues with analysts, we've seen go as high as 110, which that was today. That was, you know, after we took that pick and I ended up texting you saying, it's pretty exciting to see him go that high with some of the other, you know, like-minded people. That that was a also a single quarterback league, I should say. But it, he's viewed very favorably by some, certainly. And so to get him at 207, there's the athleticism concern that's never really thrown us off when a guy has a production profile like his. Exactly. And I just keep going back, too, to this Cleveland Browns situation where Amari Cooper is probably going to put up some good numbers this year because they don't have anybody else. But he is trending downward in a way that the Cowboys very clearly were done with him. They felt like he limited their team as they were making their playoff run last year. You can look at his peripherals in the Rotoviz Player Explorer, and you can see how he's not the same guy in terms of you know, fantasy points over expectation, run after the catch, all of these things that even a couple of years ago, at the beginning of his time in Dallas, he was still a star. He's not that now. David Bell, and we're just going to go ahead and throw out Keenan Allen and, and Dream, right? You might as well in that situation where, depending on how things turn out, if you're willing to be patient, I mean, there's probably a suspension in the offing, but however that works out, it does seem like Deshaun Watson will eventually be their quarterback. And then you have David Bell in that situation with him, and the sky really is the limit this is a guy who is able to get open makes extremely difficult catches look easy curtis and i picked bell in the pros versus joes with dotson still on the board and so i mean that's really been i think the controversial pick this year is you have this first round wide receiver versus this late third round wide receiver because of how big the gaps are in terms of under and overperforming draft slot with guys who number one have the early breakout and number two have the early declare versus the guys who don't have those two things. And then when you throw the team situation in on top of it, both in terms of competition for targets and quarterback play, I don't know. I, I like this pick. And, and partly one of the things you can do too when you have a lot of picks is when you want to make a controversial selection for a guy that you just simply want to have on your roster, you can do it. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go 
to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Yep, and the two other guys that we were considering here, we had the 207 as well as the 210, were Trey McBride to continue to add to our tight ends and Isaiah Spiller, who did not test well, but lands in a really fantastic spot with the Chargers where he could probably fill that big back role that Joshua Kelly and Larry Roundtree have not been able to fill alongside Eckler. I think he has an opportunity to to be sort of the goal line back in year one, plus with his receiving profile. Sean, you, you sort of said if something happened, the last we talked about this, if something happens to Eckler, he can, he's kind of got to be that guy. I mean, we saw a weird name to bring up, but we saw Kalen Balazs sort of consolidate in it from, from the big back role, some of the passing work in this offense a couple of years ago for a very short period of time. Justin Jackson is still a free agent, if I'm not mistaken, so you don't have uh, that clear backup for the pass-catching role. If something were to happen to Eckler, I mean, Spiller does have quite a bit of upside, I think. I mean, he's almost a low-end RB1 if Eckler gets hurt, right? I mean, just from the situation, even yeah. if you don't believe in him, and I think there's reason to believe in it. Right, and and the Chargers don't believe in their other backs, I think was the biggest thing that we learned from last year and how heavily they leaned on Eckler how many touchdowns he wound up scoring his his usage near the goal line that very well could carry over and that's why he's a top pick in fantasy but it does feel like this pick was to address that that exact thing that was different about Eckler's usage in 2021 so that he doesn't have to take so much of the load so then we were up at 210 and both of the guys in between 207 and 210 that we left on the board we were hoping maybe one might get there had gone there's still a lot of other interesting names here one that we really like but we're hoping we could probably get it to 12. And so with the 210, we traded out of that to get a 2023 second and a 2023 fifth. And so now we're continuing to add to this 2023 war chest. Now we have the extra first, we have the extra second, we've moved up in the second. I think we have some other extra picks already accumulated as well, somewhere along the way. You would know this better than me, Sean, but that pick wound up being Tyler Algier. Then John Mechie goes to 11. And at 212, we were able to grab Wondell Robinson, who was the other guy we were really interested in. Exactly. And we have so many picks, and you're thinking, okay, well, we're going to take David Bell. We're going to do whatever it takes to move up into the, either the 208 or the 209 and get one of our two guys there. We only have to move up one slot. How much could it really cost? And the answer sometimes is just that it costs too much. And or the person, and it was one opponent who had both of those picks and you know we messaged back and forth a little bit and it just in a very friendly way he said look i this is an orphan i'm taking over i'm gonna stick with these picks and make them and you can definitely understand that and so we did move out with the 210 that helps us with the roster crunch wandale is there at the 212 he is going a couple of spots later the next three picks in order were, were alec pierce brian robinson and zamir white he's going after those guys but we didn't want to take the risk in part because then we can do some other trades and not have to worry about them. This is a player who, you know, Ben, it, he's a little bit controversial. I actually had him projected. And, and when we were doing our live draft, you mentioned uh, we know there are at least a few diehards that did listen to most of it. We appreciate you guys. It, that was just an absolutely fantastic experience. We originally thought he might go sort of at the one, two turn because this is a guy I picked number 43 overall electric with the ball in his hands he's got the running back background we know that you can do the manufactured touches 
He also then, as you mentioned, in his third year with Kentucky, exploded as a wide receiver. The Giants made a very strong statement on his behalf, right? Because they take him ahead of Pickens and more. Those guys, for him to fall this far below that other group, you know, again, it's something where you're like, okay, we're going to have to be patient in 2022 because the quarterback play could be bad. And they have this difficult mix of veterans where they have Galladay, they have Shepard, they have Tony. And yet when you look at 2023, it's either going to be a situation where Daniel Jones has emerged with this vastly upgraded coaching staff, or they've taken a shot at one of the new quarterbacks that most people are pretty high on. And I think also we see that veteran group kind of work its way through to where, you know, maybe Galladay bounces back. Maybe Tony is able to work out his issues. However it happens, Wandale at worst is going to be that Rondell Moore type of player and unlike the Cardinals, I don't think the Giants are going to forget that he's on their roster. Yeah, he is a really fun one to add as well. So now we have made five picks. They were all wide receivers. We have also picked up Rashad Penny, Eno Benjamin, and Gerald Everett through the trades. It's interesting you talk about the move up in this spot and it being too expensive. Or in this case, we weren't really able to, to get anywhere with the, the person. And, and obviously, that's they're right. They're, they're making those picks. Um, but it's interesting to think about that in relation to our move up for Sky Moore, where we felt like we gave up quite a bit. In doing a lot, in doing this rookie draft with you, and in doing some dynasty with you, I, and in playing in leagues against you, one of the biggest things that I've picked up from you, I would say, is this idea of sort of controlled aggression. This you're always careful, you're willing to make aggressive moves, and you you, you have to be bold to to build good rosters and and to do those things. The Sky Moore trade, we only went up three slots. We felt like we gave up quite a bit in the move back in in conjunction with that. But as you mentioned, there's a very clear teardrop in our eyes from that 112, from the 109, and, and knowing that Moore's on the board there to the 112. And Moore maybe is more like the 106 for, or in that range for some people. I think I haven't ranked 107. You know, I have him right in that group with those other receivers. Watson typically goes 110. Sometimes you'll see Dotson up there. Sometimes you'll see Pickens go before Watson. But in a lot of the rookie drafts I've done, it's been sort of that, that those 10 players with, with Moore and Watson and, and Kenny Pickett kind of joining the top five receivers and the top two running backs. So that was, you know, a move forward where even though we were coming up three spots, it was this clear tier change in the second round, yes, we really liked McBride and Spiller, but it doesn't feel like necessarily and, – and McBride maybe is a tier up, almost certainly, actually. <laughs> you kind of already discussed it. We, we would probably see him as worth quite a bit more than where he ends up going here at 208. But we already have the four tight ends, so with our you know current roster and what he brings to our team, maybe not quite as much. Spiller, we like but probably not a full tier up from some of the other options in those in in this range from a Wondell Robinson, for example. And so, you know, you have to be a little bit more controlled if you're going to try to come up in that spot. If the guy has a chance to make it to you more or less, then you don't want to just move up because you want to make sure you get him. You, you have shown me throughout this rookie draft, this patience, this willingness to let the draft come to you. Sometimes our guy has fallen to us. Sometimes he has not. You mentioned the quarterbacks that we were hoping would fall. They all go early. But one of the things that that, that did was it brought David Bell right to us at 207. 
And we've definitely seen him go higher in a lot of other spots. So it's this willingness to be patient, but then also to move up when you know, look, this guy's probably not going to make it three more spots. And that takes a little bit of, you know, a little bit of feel. It's not always completely obvious, but I think one of the things when we were talking about the Sky Moore pick, I keep going back to that, was we were very confident he wouldn't make it to 112. I mean, I, I know I was. I was like, he's not going to be there. So if we want to get him, we got to go up to 109. The same wasn't necessarily true here. We thought maybe McBride and, and Spiller would go in that order or, or in those two picks before we were up again, but it wasn't certain, and we were willing to gamble a little bit. So we gamble, we lose. Again, we just weren't going to be able to get those picks in any way, shape, or form, I don't believe. And then the 301, then there are a lot of interesting guys there. And and one of the things, again, we talked about it in the open, but if there are a lot of interesting guys, you're having a hard time making your choice, one of the things you can do is just move down. Then you don't have to make the choice. Alec Pierce goes, he's an interesting discount play on Christian Watson. I wrote about that for the site. Give some numbers there if people want to check that out. The 302, Brian Robinson, the 303, Zamir White. And then, Ben, we were on the clock as we started the show. And we said, again, you know, there are four players that we want here. We have the 306. If we move down to the 307, actually, it's vice versa, but it doesn't really matter. If we move down to that range, then we still get, at the very worst, the third and fourth players from that group, and we can pick something else up we did have a trade accepted as we're doing the show and that trade was for the 306 and the 412 in order to move up three spots we'd also mentioned with the 301 we moved down to the 309 and picked up the 405 so now suddenly we're in kind of the same range we're going to get some players that we like there are a couple of veterans here we're taking a little bit of a risk on Sam Howell. And the reason we haven't drafted him already is that we don't think he's going to be able to show until the season actually starts that he should be the guy. And so, again, that roster slot crunch causes the problem there. But if he continues to fall, we will take him. But now we turn the 301 and the 303 into the 306, the 309, the 405, and the 412. And one of the things that we've mentioned, and, and everybody should get over there, to the FFPC lobby, get yourself in a Rotoviz Triflex startup. But because of the cut down to 16 players that happens before the rookie draft, there are some veterans in there. So you're thinking to yourself, okay, well, did you? I mean, what are you guys doing picking up two fourth round picks when you already have too many players? But then this allows us to actually target some of the fourth round players that we do like, hold them through the summer. You know, I, I have the article out on the site as well about. You know, these two guys could be the next Elijah Mitchell. Obviously, if you took Elijah Mitchell, the actual Elijah Mitchell last year, you're very excited about that. It's all about creating as many pathways to success as possible. And so I am excited that this trade worked out. The pick was Keontae Ingram. That's a different manager betting against our Eno Benjamin hedge. You're like, you, you guys aren't even on the right Arizona Cardinals backup, which is very possibly true. We were kind of hoping the Cardinals would go the entire draft without adding anybody, even though that wasn't realistic. And, you know, now we've got some picks here to hit on some of our favorite guys. And if nothing else, this is fun, right? I mean, the, the likelihood that one of these fourth round picks changes our roster, I mean, it's it's not super large, but we get to, to select our guys. We get to make more picks. 
that's what rookie drafts are all about, right? I mean, it's not about winning money. It's about participating and having fun. Yeah, the early third round was really interesting. I'm looking at sort of what we gave up, what we've netted. We we actually came into the third and we picked at 212 with Wendell Robinson, but we also had the 301, 303, and 304. And we've traded all three because we traded the 301 and Pierce went. We do like him, but he wasn't our target. Uh, we did not have the 302. Brian Robinson went also wasn't our target. So then we traded out a 303. We traded out a 304. We're kind of moving back because we have a set. We have actually have a, a few targets that we're interested in trying to just mentioned a few of them. Howell, some of the other potential running backs and receivers that we're looking at here. But we, we've basically just kicked the can back a little bit. Now we have the 306, 307, and 309 instead of the 301, 303, and 304. And yeah, Keontae Ingram goes as well. These are not necessarily our, our favorite running backs in this range, as you alluded to. And so, and in doing so, we picked up a couple early fourths as well, and we'll potentially be able to grab more names, just hoard all the players that we like, and deal with it later. That's the way I'm thinking about it. At first, I was really concerned about this, but you have had this mentality sort of throughout. It's another thing that I've really enjoyed and sort of picked up from you in this type of format where you have a cut down scenario but you can get as large as you want right now with your roster why not just have everyone why one of the things we did before the first cut down prior to the rookie draft is we wound up cutting some players that we actually liked but that's not even the end of the world because they're not on other rosters now they're back out there they're potentially redraftable that would be something that would apply in the future as well some of the guys we cut we might wind up adding back in waivers in the season right so it's not like they're gone when they're on your roster and then you cut them down. They're now just available to anyone. Someone might scoop them up. Someone might not. And so you have that element as well, where keeping them on your roster and not on someone else's roster, maybe keeps them, you know, certainly keeps them closer. If, even if you have to cut them. And one of the things you can do as well at this point is that you can trade out of the top of your roster. I think that the instinct is always, okay, well, I've got too many guys. I've got to get down. How do I trade? You know, if you're in a 30 roster spot league, you're like, how do I trade the 29th, 30th, and 31st guy for someone valuable? Or if in this case, you're in a 20 roster spot league, how do I trade the 18th, 19th, and 20th guys for something more valuable? That can be hard because people look at it and say, I mean, you're going to probably cut somebody. Why would I pay you a lot? The thing that you can do, and it can be more uncomfortable but you trade your fifth and sixth guys for somebody else's number two plus something in the future right so you get that optionality back and maybe that player then is the one that allows you to win the whole thing you also don't have to get overly caught up in the positions Monty Fon and I are doing a very similar thing in our draft except our running backs are even way worse and then a little bit earlier today, we traded Joe Burrow, Irv Smith, and the 308 for Jonathan Taylor and Jameis Winston. Winston is someone I don't necessarily like to have on rosters, but at least in the interim, you know, you're getting a quarterback back. And I think that a lot of people are looking at this and saying, I mean, he's just going to be a one-year guy and the Saints aren't going to be very good. I would agree that the Saints aren't going to be very good. I'm a little bit skeptical of both Olave and Michael Thomas. But they gave up so much to get Olave that, I mean, they're not in a great shape to add a quarterback in the future. I mean, they've really 
tie themselves to Winston. So anyway, we go from having a roster that is super deep, that doesn't have running backs, and we're looking at starting Devin Singletary and Daryl Henderson, and you're like, well, you can't win with that, to now it's Jonathan Taylor and Devin Singletary and some of the guys we pick up late, like an Algier or Tyrion Davis-Price, and suddenly you're thinking, okay, well, now if you so we have six quarterbacks who are all very contingent in terms of how it works out but you get to work through the summer maybe that happens so ben going back to our team here i think it probably now is the time to go through our roster and, and give people a sense of what this all means what it's built up to our quarterbacks we have Derek carr and kyler murray our running backs we have saquon barkley james connor ronald jones rashad penny and then eno probably a cut at wide receiver, we have DJ Moore, Drake London, Garrett Wilson, Sky Moore, Rondell Moore, Elijah Moore, Kenny Galladay, Will Fuller, Tyler Boyd, Debo Samuel, a starter, Hunter Renfro, and maybe another guy or two I'm missing as I go through there. At tight end, we have Pat Fryer moves. Sorry to kick off, but I just realized we added Sky Moore and we joked all last year we already had dj Moore, elijah Moore, rondo Moore. as you said that we now have all them we, we still have all the mores you gotta I, have all the mores. i mean you gotta have enough mores that you don't actually have to start dj Moore. <laughs> at, tight end, at tight end we have pat fryermuth cole Komet, gerald everett and mike gasicki i wish that we had a, a clear star there but i like that group we have six more picks in this draft and then next year we have two firsts, three seconds, two thirds, and then again this chance to kind of keep the perpetual motion machine going. Yeah, it's fantastic. I love also that you said Derek Carr before Kyler Murray, as if he's our QB one, because I, I think you might actually have him valued over Kyler. But those are our only two QBs. I'm hoping you're right about Derek Carr because we're going to need him to be an absolute star. But the wide receivers are incredibly deep and we can you know potentially move some or just in in this format one of the great things about the triflex format you start three receivers and there's two flexes in addition to the super flex so you can start up to five receivers yes our running backs are very thin yes we're actually pretty thin at quarterback as well but it's tight end premium from those four tight ends we should be able to have a nice tight end every week and from those tons of receivers even after we cut down or do whatever we do we should be able to start five every week that we're really happy with. That's going to be the strength of our team. That's the strength of basically any team that URI is building. That's sort of the idea of zero RB, right, is to have so much depth into the flex at the wide receiver position. And even for us at the tight end position, if our wide receivers get hurt, we had that issue a little bit last year. We were flexing our tight ends sometimes uh, in a tight end premium league where we liked a couple of them. I think we played Gesicki and Freermuth together more than once. And then, yeah, hopefully we get enough out of the running back spots. And when you look at it that way, okay, Saquon Barkley and James Conner are your starters, and you know you have Ronald Jones and Rashad Penny as your backups. Okay. I mean, that'll be fine. That's our weak spot. Yeah, and we, you mentioned the wide receiver depth. We traded out of the wide receiver depth at the end of last year for Saquon Barkley. And so we'll be vastly upgraded in terms of our starting spots this year if he stays healthy james connor should be in a better situation you also mentioned the depth at wide receiver i'm i'm definitely hoping that the wide receivers are so good that we're not flexing any tight ends this year i would 
like to believe that we're going to have eight of the top 25 wide receivers by midseason. And if that's the case, we should be able to weather some other things that happen. Even a quarterback injury, heaven forbid, at least in the short term, because if you have that much firepower at wide receiver, there's not necessarily a big gap in the scoring between a bad quarterback and a top wide receiver if you have to put that receiver in the super flex spot. So we're going to be starting six receivers. I like it. The other thing is our third quarterback could be Sam Howell. He wasn't selected when we did our trade down. He is one of our targets upcoming. And Ben, I know that you were kind of thinking that there was a possibility that he would go to Seattle during the draft itself. And I ran across uh, some reporting on some reporting on the Seahawks today that I, I felt like I had to share with you because it, it was very relevant to our discussions and Anyone who hasn't seen the highlights of the draft stream, there are some great reactions from Ben. Obviously, our buddy Pat Corain is on there, and he is absolutely fantastic with it. But there was some reporting that maybe the Seahawks actually did like your guy a little bit. Yeah, I love you just sent me uh, – we're, we're talking trades or whatever, and then you just sent me an image with no no context – and it was just a screenshot from an article with a quote from ESPN that said, Sam Howell had a lot of support in Seattle's building as a developmental quarterback to take on day two or three. But even as Howell slipped to the fifth round, the Seahawks stayed away from the QB, addressing several other needs instead. Why? Coming off last year's draft that included just three picks due to multiple trades, Seattle wanted to reestablish roster strength with its nine selections this year. And since a middle to late round QB would probably be the backup to Geno Smith or Drew Locke, why not maximize the talent elsewhere? And there are just so many things to say about that logic that I it it hurts my head. First of all, I mean, part of the issue with the Russ trade is that you only basically only got back the same draft capital that you got when you traded away Jamal Adams, which is the reason that you didn't have any picks last year. I mean, this is a, a problem of your own doing. Like you just gave away picks for players that didn't actually do, you know, didn't didn't move the, the needle enough. But then when you traded Russ, you added a bunch of picks and you don't have a quarterback. So, I mean, like, uh, but during the draft stream, one of the big things we were talking about, there was a, a comment that, you know, Pete Carroll made about really – uh, or excuse me, John Schneider made about the head coach and the quarterback being the two most important people in the building and needing to be on the same page. At some point, Sean, you and I were talking and I was like, they must really just have not liked these, these quarterbacks. And they think that Geno Smith and Drew Locke, they're, they're kind of Pete Carroll's type of guy or whatever. But when I hear this quote that they actually liked him, but they just thought the other moves might make more sense for their roster building and for their team, it just drives me a little bit nuts because there's really then no justification. Like if Howell was completely off their board, I can almost buy it. But Howell was on their board. They were interested. They were almost going to pull the trigger, but they didn't because they felt like they needed that extra cornerback. And to be honest, Seattle actually did a good job from a positional value perspective, other than the Kenneth Walker pick, completely pulling that pick out because that one was, you know, the highlight of not understanding positional value, but they took two, 
bookend tackles. They took corner, multiple cornerbacks, multiple receivers. They were mostly prior and multiple edge rushers, mostly prioritizing high value positions that the best way to determine those, the value of those positions is what is a replacement cost in free agency? What kind of contracts are there uh, are, are given out to those positions? Those are all positions where we can see some pretty big numbers in free agency. So they did a pretty good job with the other picks, but I mean, you, you did not have a lot of opportunity costs to go after Sam Howell. And the whole point that we were talking about on the, on the draft stream was the potential payoff is massive. If Sam Howell is actually good, the potential payoff is massive. And his profile is very strong. Sean, you've called him the best quarterback in this class. We saw him mocked in the first round. So the idea that you could get him in the fourth round, it was really odd that this year, you know, the NFL clearly didn't like this quarterback class, but they also all fell sort of as a group. And it was almost this opportunity to have this really low cost shot at a potential quarterback. The best part of all of this is since a middle to late round quarterback would probably be the backup to Geno Smith or Drew Locke. What I always talk about with the Seahawks is they learned all of the the wrong lessons about their success. You could have said the exact same thing about Russell Wilson when he was drafted, that he was likely to be Matt Flynn's backup. That's the guy they went and got that offseason that some people were sold on, some people weren't sold on, very similar to Drew Locke. Matt Flynn was probably viewed more favorably than Geno Smith and Drew Locke are right at this well, point. Well, Matt Flynn had had a good game in the NFL yeah, before yeah. he went to the Seahawks, which is not what true. What good Drew game, Locke. which is more than either of the other two quarterbacks. There was actually sort of some excitement about that signing and the guarantee. I mean, they gave him some solid guaranteed money. They gave him a decent contract at that time. It's just baffling to me that you took Russell Wilson, you let him just come into camp as a, I think he was a third rounder, and let him compete. He wins the job. He goes on to be your quarterback for a decade. You trade him away, and you think that it's not worth just bringing in a guy that you like at that important position to see how good he might be because he'll probably be the backup to Geno Smith or Drew Locke. That's probably what would happen when you already saw what the payoff is if you're wrong about that, right? Like, that's the whole thing. No, no team can beat the NFL draft. We know that it's a, a really challenging thing to be consistently great at player evaluation, and the Seahawks have not been, and they should have learned that over the last seven years. They've been terrible. They were really good the three or four years prior to that when they built their Super Bowl roster, but they've more than proven since then that they basically just bunched their hits together and they're no better overall than anyone else. I just, I, it's, it's mind boggling to me, Sean, that they actually liked him, that he had support in the building. They wanted to take him as a developmental quarterback or there was interest in taking him as a developmental quarterback. And they got those multiple shots again in round four. You pass him in round two, you pass him in round three, but to go all the way into round four, and to not be willing to take him in round four just because you need to rebuild the rest of the roster positions that we know can't have as much of an impact if you're right on those players. And in all likelihood, you're not going to be right on those players because every player you like that you take over higher-ranked players, you're wrong about. Seattle has a long track record of that. So the players you took, even if you're right, the payoff isn't isn't there, but probably are not all going to be fantastic either. You you, you got to understand what the payoff could be, and understand you know have a little humility that you don't necessarily know how to evaluate players as well as you think. It's just an absolute no brainer to take the quarterback in that spot. So anyway, I thought this was 
hilarious. You got the rise out of me that you were looking for. <laughs> well, you mentioned a lot of the specific things that are so unfortunate about this quote, right? And I keep going back to how there are a lot of like sort of buzzwords in here that are code for things that probably are sending the opposite message from what the team is kind of thinking that they're saying that Howell is always labeled as a developmental quarterback stands out to me. And one of the things that you continue to hear is that like the Panthers were like really close between taking Matt Corral and Sam Howell. Obviously Washington does take him. You, you hear about Seattle was very interested the teams have been going out of their way, basically, to everyone's propping up Sam Howell. They're not like, he fell because he's a jerk who's not good. But you hear developmental, developmental, right? But the element with this that is so weird is that Sam Howell was the one player from this group who dominated in college from the moment he stepped foot on campus. And that's very meaningful in terms of how these guys tend to translate to the NFL. If you look at the way he plays... And are thinking to yourself, okay, there are some things we're going to have to clean up, some things that we're going to have to make sure he understands how they'll work at the NFL level. That may in fact be true and be a meaningful part of the process. That doesn't make him a developmental quarterback any more than because Patrick Mahomes played behind Alex Smith for a while and the Chiefs wanted him to come in and learn a few things and clean some things up made Patrick Mahomes a developmental quarterback, right? You either believe Sam Howell can play at the NFL level and is going to get there after a little bit of practice, or you don't. It's not something where developmental quarterbacks, I mean, these guys who were able to sit and then play, it was because they had the ability to be NFL quarterbacks. You know, Tony Romo, for example, Tom Brady. It's not because they like developed somehow through the course of being on an NFL roster. That's not the way that it works. So that part of it is weird. I was just going to say, but but teams love to take credit for it right if they can say that they developed tom brady or they developed tony romo then then they can keep talking about it in these terms and and obviously we, we do know there's going to be some taking credit the other thing is like you can't i mean just you can't mention someone who's interesting in the same conversation with geno smith and drew lock because it just it looks so bad right i mean they've acquired drew lock they like to talk about him but he's a failed nfl quarterback and Geno Smith is someone they've gotten to see a lot. Geno actually played fairly decently when he had a chance last year, but he's a backup NFL quarterback. He's a failed draft pick from back when he originally came into the league. If the Seahawks are good enough, it's possible that one of those two guys, specifically I think Geno Smith, is good enough to lead them to a 7-10 and 10 record. But it's not going to be a situation where that person plays and they're keeping a good prospect kind of locked away and it didn't make sense to take them but one of the things that really jumps out every time that i hear it because the logic is such just so bad it and it shows a misunderstanding of what ranges of outcomes mean and what a contingency based approach to a lot of things means that just because there was a certain range of outcomes at one point doesn't mean that that's still the range Right. You hear people talk about Drew Locke and say, if he were in this class, he would have been the first quarterback drafted. Number one, I don't think that that's true. <laughs> Number two, it does not matter. That's it's, like saying, if Jake Locker were in this class, he would be the first quarterback drafted. Right. How We've is that relevant to the Seattle Seahawks? 
<laughs> that's exactly that we haven't talked about this quote yet but that was my exact response to that but we've seen drew lock play yes maybe as a prospect whatever but we've seen him play at the nfl level now like again you don't know what the player is you think just because you're bringing him into your building in seattle now he's going to hit that ceiling that he didn't hit with denver like that's that's the mindset there they're going to be able to coach him to that potential that they saw in uh, in him as a prospect breaks my head anyway you were on a roll and you were making great points <laughs> so we i'm more frustrated now because it would have been so cool to have sam howell with the seattle seahawks we still like his chances with washington we're trying to figure out where we can draft him in our drafts ben his average adp is at the 303 that's an interesting spot yeah definitely i mean you talked about him performing from day one one of the things that, you know, we've gone through his profile a lot, but his passing numbers went down basically each season since his freshman year, and we don't see that as a bad thing. In, in his freshman year, he was fantastic, got a little worse his sophomore year, and kind of a bigger drop-off into his junior year. But in his junior year, he runs for over 800 yards and 11 touchdowns, and he had lost multiple players in the NFL, Javante Williams, Michael Carter, De'Ami Brown, everyone. And that's not, like a bad thing you we had dave caben on when we were on our day three draft stream and he was talking about how his model looks at total yardage for the quarterback which is important the rushing element is important and the fact that howell has succeeded both as not really a rusher his first two years he didn't do a lot at all maybe the most was 100 and something rush yards i don't think he had a 200 rush yard season in either of those years if i'm remembering right and then he has 811 tds his third year like almost out of nowhere when you look at his career rushing in college it's that element of what Dave's model is picking up that, okay, now he didn't have the skill position talent. He had to do it all himself and he still made it happen. Yards are yards. Like it doesn't mean he's a worse passer. He's still leading his team. He's playing the quarterback position the best way that his team around him allows him. And he showed an ability to do both. He showed an ability to stand in and be a good passer. Like you said, at a young age, which you've also noted with all the positions is so valuable in these models and he comes in as a freshman and he is a high level player right away and a good passer shows the ability to throw then later in his career he shows okay now that i don't have skill position talent i can still make plays i can still do so many other things why would that not be a player like you you mentioned that's not developmental why would that not be a player you'd want to bring in that's the exact quarterback that the Seahawks should want for 2022 with a roster that has some warts. See what he can give you this year. You you already are in the market probably for the 2023 rookie class. That's what everyone you know has said or will say. It sort of becomes the immediate response. Well, they're not really serious about Drew Locke and Geno Smith long-term. They just want a 2023 rookie. Great. You still could have made a really low-cost bet on Howell, and he might be the guy. Instead... You're, you might go like 7 and 10, like you said. If Howell's bad, th- th- that high variance element is actually it works in your favor because if he's really bad, then potentially you get a higher draft pick next year to get that 2023 guy. But there's the other element where you, you even if Drew Locke and Geno Smith are bad enough that they still get a high draft pick, you can't be sure that guy's going to be good. Why not just take two bets? Why not have two bets? That's one of the things that relates to our our current rookie draft why not have multiple bets why not give yourself more chances to be right it's a, it's the comment that's brought up with the draft all the time 
And in particular for the Seahawks, Geno Smith and Drew Locke, like you said, they might help them to a 7-10 and 10 or maybe even a 10-7 and 7 record. Who knows? But they're not going to win a Super Bowl with these guys. Why not make a bet on 2022 on a rookie that could potentially be the next Russell Wilson for your franchise? And if he's not, then make another bet in 2023. And then if he's not, make another bet in 2024. Just keep making bets. Don't be so certain about the bets you make. I mean, we've talked about this with the idea of the YOLO QB that, that the fantasy dudes have talked about. Where just take multiple QBs in one draft class. Take, you know, just give yourself outs. Play different quarterbacks in the same season that are interesting, that have these profiles that they, they're they mobile. I, I know when, when Frank was writing about that, it would be, um, it would be Jeff Driscoll that he was always talking about. And when we saw Jeff Driscoll play a little bit for the Broncos and for the Lions, he was actually interesting and fun, right? Like there, there was an argument to take a guy like that with his type of profile when he was young and let him play in a lost season and just see if he was something. A lot of what's interesting is a lot of quarterbacks have come out of seemingly nowhere, right? The Tony Romos, the Kurt Warners, the Tom Brady's. There's so many. We think of it in, the, in terms of like you have to have a top pick and take this top quarterback. We also know there's been a lot of busts there. We know that this is not a position that, that the NFL evaluates particularly well. So maximize your bets. Take different opportunities to see what you might get out of uh, or, or to try to solve the problem of not having Russell Wilson on your roster anymore. But they're going to learn the hard way. The Seahawks think that they can win without Russell Wilson. They've thought that throughout most of Russell Wilson's career. It's been my whole frustration is they sort of, never realized what they had in this guy who to be clear the other thing that everyone always talks about is you know russell wilson's kind of a weird guy off the field i like i think that too like i'm not like a you know a huge russell wilson fanboy i think he is kind of a weird dude i just think from a personal standpoint of like sort of what he deserved i i hope he has a good a good rest of his career in denver and i think seattle and just in terms of maximizing their potential for winning games and 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 potential potentially winning multiple Super Bowls and those things. I just think they did a very poor job throughout his entire career. They never seemed to understand that he was on, you know, covering up for a lot of their sort of archaic ideas of how to run a football team where they can hand pick all the best players and they can be run heavy and they can do all these different things and it's all going to work out. It's not. And and they're going to be bad this year. They're going to be really bad. I'm excited to take the under on there they're over under on their wins this year. Cause they're going to be, they're going to play low scoring games and, and they did win some games with Gino last year. It wouldn't surprise me. Like you said, if they go seven and 10, if they win some, because to, if you're the underdog, it actually makes sense to sort of shorten the game and maybe a couple key turnovers will swing it your way. Maybe they'll get a few more wins than, than I'm letting on. Maybe I'll lose that over under bet on their wins, but this is, they're not solving anything long-term. And the other part of that doesn't make any sense is Pete Carroll's older than heck. Like, you need to solve it. You need to get a new quarterback in as soon as possible. So anyway, they're screwed and whatever. They'll probably get lucky and, and be so bad that they'll get a high pick in 2023. And then that guy won't be a bust. And so that one bet will work out in their favor. And Anyway, I hope that happens. But why not just make another bet on Sam Howell this year? It doesn't make any sense. It doesn't There's no argument. I won't hear an argument. So we saved the Sam Howell section for the after the 50 minute mark. So anyone who didn't want to hear it again could click <laughs> off at that point. We appreciate everyone who stuck with us for it. I just want to mention again, when you're looking at guys who are clear backups or not contingent bets, you're talking about players who don't have the arm strength, don't have the mobility, or don't have the leadership. None of those appear to apply to Sam Howell. Some other teams should have taken the shot. 
we like the situation there with Washington. Ben, we need to wrap up, but any other thoughts to take us out? Anything else that we need to mention on our rookie draft or rookie drafts in general? Nothing in a short enough time frame. I think I've already exhausted all my breath on on Sam Howell, but we'll be back later this week, uh, probably talking more about rookie drafts. The rest of rest of our rookie draft, we'll, we'll update you guys on how we finish that, and then I think some big picture rookie draft takes would be would be a smart thing to discuss because there has been some really interesting things across the different rookie drafts, and it, it's all very applicable to redraft for those of you who don't play dynasty but maybe listened to this episode anyways it's uh these rookie opinions are going to explain a lot of what sean and i will be thinking about in season and a lot of that work starts right here connor o'driscoll and i are in an underdog draft we started with running backs and one of our foundation wide receivers happens to be traylon burks we'll be talking about how all of that will work out. We know that the rookies were key last year in redraft and best ball. We think that they'll be key this year in redraft and best ball. You can join us over at underdog by using the coupon code Rotoviz. When you sign up, you get a hundred percent deposit bonus up to $100. Obviously Ben, you and I will be trying to take down the FFPC main event this year. Uh, just remind everybody if we win first place, what do we get? $1 million. So the question will be, will stealing bananas continue after 2022? <laughs> Probably it will. It's been fun. Peace, guys. <laughs> Once we split it, we'll, we'll have to keep on with the show. No, it, join us over at the FFPC. It's a lot of fun to participate in the main event. A lot of fun to participate in the best ball tournament. We have a lot of affection for that. And then they did, I believe, add a Superflex version of the tournament. That's a lot of fun. We've got good tools on the site to help you beat the Superflex format. Obviously, plenty of exploitable elements there with both the FFPC and the underdog tools. Get over there, join a Rotoviz Triflex startup. We'll enjoy drafting with you guys. We'll have some live drafts on the show again soon. We appreciate you guys listening to them. Those have been popular. We're excited to do a bunch more drafting. That'll do it for today's episode of Steel and Venus. I'm Sean Siegel. With me, as always, is Ben Gretsch, who you can follow at Yards Per Gretsch. Make sure you sign up for the best newsletter in the fantasy industry, and specifically my favorite in Stealing Signals. You won't regret that. We'd love to have you join us at Rotoviz. You can use the coupon code RVRADIO2022 at checkout to get 10% off. Subscribe to our feed to get these episodes as they come out. We really appreciate that. That helps us out. We also really appreciate all of the ratings and reviews that you guys gave us in the recent contest and all the ones that you've given us when we're not in a contest uh, setting. If you want to do something to help us out and only have a second, you can get in there, add an exclamation point to some portion of it, refresh the rating and review. It helps us out with the algorithm. The Ceiling Bananas community has been so awesome. We love you guys. We'll talk to you soon.
you only have a 401k, you're not getting the most for retirement. Wait, what? Add a Robinhood IRA on top, then they'll boost it by 3%. You can do that? And if you transfer in any retirement account, you get 3% on top of that. Is there a limit to the match? No limit. Robinhood Gold gets you the biggest contribution match of any IRA on the market. Sign up for Robinhood Gold at Robinhood.com boost by April 30th. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Match on transfers subject to additional terms and conditions. Robinhood Financial LLC, member SIPC.